This is Michael Leary with More Than Meets the IRB, a conversation about research participants and the people who study them. More Than Meets the IRB is a joint initiative of Washington University in St. Louis and public responsibility in medicine and research. Primer advances the highest ethical standards in the conduct of biomedical, behavioral, and social science research. Primer accomplishes this mission through education, membership services, professional certification, public policy initiatives, and community building. In our first episode this month, we talked with Dr. Jeff Hancock about the Facebook study and a range of issues related to social media research. It was a good introduction to the controversy around the Facebook study, but we also talked about shifts and trends in social media use that continue to impact the way we culturally perceive privacy and risk. So let's keep thinking this direction. It seems to be an area all of us involved with human research ethics are collectively figuring out on a case-by-case basis. In this episode, we are going to hear about more actual cases and feature another on-the-ground ethical perspective from Dr. Joseph Constant. Facebook and Twitter, they are important platforms for us to continue to talk about, but there's a lot more to internet and social media research to consider. In this short survey covering five specific topics in 10 minutes, Dr. Constant gives us a snapshot of things like online focus groups, crowdsourced research, Wikipedia use, and political blogging. This presentation was part of Internet Research. Is it different? Is it special? Points to ponder for social and behavioral investigators, IRBs, and subjects. A plenary panel session held during the 2013 Primer Advancing Ethical Research Conference. Dr. Joseph Constan is Distinguished McKnight University Professor in the Department of Computer Science and Engineering at the University of Minnesota who, in addition to conducting extensive research in the field, has also advised the IRB on data security and IT issues related to Internet research. I'm going to try to take five minutes, or five issues in ten minutes, so forgive me if I go slightly quickly, uh, and then I will surprise my co-panelists with some questions. But I'm going to take two perspectives. The Internet as a venue for research. We're going to talk about online surveys, focus groups, and crowdsourcing research uh, going out to people who are doing the work of your research for you in different contexts. And then internet activity as a subject of research, both looking at analyzing the kind of social media data, the Twitter feeds, the Facebook pages, and online experiments. Now, for all you Tolkien fans out there, there is one theme to bind this all together, (laughs) and it is that everything is changing. The concept of expectation of privacy is changing. You hear about this a whole lot. The idea of how people balance privacy with the desire to be recognized, the desire to be public, is changing. Re-identification is changing. The fact that Google is out there and that any time somebody has a, a clip of what somebody said on a social media site, you can track it down to who said it by just typing the clip into Google and watching it go find that, and that's becoming true for pictures and other things. We talked about IP addresses, the general technical concept of database joins, lots of public data connected with private data. And of course, the concept of quit any time is remarkably ubiquitous. This has good and bad aspects to it. It means that users have a lot of control. It also means that you don't always have a chance to debrief people. So. Let's start with surveys, and this wonderful screen is a survey. Happens to be a survey that's talking about 
that was done by our group connected with uh, the Wikimedia Foundation. You look at the survey and you say, well, yeah, it's a survey. What are the issues? Well, we've talked about some of these. There's the security confidentiality issue. What do we hear all the time? You know, is it okay if my researcher wants to use SurveyMonkey? Is it okay if they want to use this outside source? And the answers we give are, are, are pretty consistent. You know, it depends. What are they asking about? How identified is it? How compromising is it? What are the agreements you have with whoever it is that you're contracting with for these services? Is it they're using a free account where nothing's encrypted? Is it that, they're, that you're using a professional service that understands the responsibilities involved? Are you asking random people in an unidentified way for their favorite ice cream flavor? In which case, forget all that. There's no risk. Don't worry about it. What about inadvertent tracking of identifying information like the IP address? But there's some other issues that are here. You know, what about unexpected coercion? My favorite issue, because my background's in human-computer interaction, are those ubiquitous radio buttons. The problem with radio buttons on, the, on computers, unlike radio buttons in cars that mostly don't exist anymore, is you can't pull them out. Now, if you had an old car, you could go to no station. But once you press a radio button in a survey, you can't unpress it. How do you design your survey so that if somebody had a compromising question, you know, something like, which of your relatives do you most want to kill? My mom, my dad, you know, my spouse, my sibling. And you click my spouse for a minute and you say, I don't want to answer that. You realize you can't unclick. You could change it to my sibling and I'd, I'd be okay with that one, but um, <laughs> do you want somebody leaving the survey because you didn't provide a I don't want to answer option that allows people that kind of, op of control? We also get all the issues of recruitment sampling validity that we've been talking about. Moving on, what about online focus groups? Here's just an example of a, a commercial online focus group, in this case, with wonderful people chatting and typing with video and slides, showing it, it it's everybody's happy. Why everybody's also sort of uniform, we won't go through. Um, but there's all sorts of risks involved in focus groups, and some of them are worse online, some of them are better online. You know, the whole issue that people share private information and maybe doing so in a way that's harder to head off. You know, a moderator has a little less control online in many ways, a lot more blunt control. You can cut somebody off, you can mute their mic, you can do things, but a lot less social control of looking and, and, and guiding. Online offers greater potential anonymity. The video can be optional. You don't have to have names there. But that challenging control is a balancing factor. And of course, when you have the ability to leave at any time, there's no way to debrief somebody. Something terrible happened and somebody gets really upset and goes and they're gone. And this is true with any kind of online study. I want to show you two examples of crowdsourcing type of things. This is a system called Cyclopath developed by a colleague of mine at the University of Minnesota. You might wonder why there are two people from Minnesota on this panel. It's because we invented internet research. <laughs> uh, and if you don't believe me, wait 15 minutes and I'm going to edit Wikipedia to show that that's true. Um, but for, for good measure, uh, this is a, a study of Wikipedia. It was done by a student of mine who built uh, an add-on where you would pay subjects on Amazon Mechanical Turk 
to research medical questions on Wikipedia and then we would later have human coders judge the quality of their results. The first was a community of people who were being studied as volunteers. This is a case of people being paid to do work online. And it gets you to these issues of crowdsourcing. You know, who's a research subject and who's an employee? In the case of the crowdsourcing study, or in the case of the, um, the study of Wikipedia, you know, it came out that, in fact, we weren't studying anything about the people. We were studying things about what was in Wikipedia, and we were hiring people online to do that. And that's how we and our IRB and everybody else viewed it. In other cases, you are studying the people. You know, which things in a crowdsourced environment are really just observations of public behavior? You know, if you have these employee contractors and the going rate for the thing you're having them do is 13 cents, is that appropriate to pay them as a researcher? If you pay them 250, you're messing up the market and you may really distort who does the work for you. And, you know, that 13 cents might represent several minutes worth of work. It's, it's an interesting trade-off. There's no consensus in the field about what appropriate compensation is yet. I think that's something people are working on. Okay, the last two, analyzing social media data. This is a famous uh, chart or graph uh, by Lada Adamich and uh, Natalie Glantz that, that showed the political blogosphere. If you haven't seen this before, the red and blue are U.S. political bloggers, um, conservative and liberal. And what you see is the links and the clustering are the degree to which they refer to each other. And it shouldn't surprise you that they come out in this rather polarized way. Actually, the most interesting people in blogs are the ones that connect to both clusters. Those are might be the actual rational people in the world. Um, it's a fun paper if you want to look it up. This picture shows up anytime you look for, you know, visualization, visualization political blogs. Just a quick comment here. Since this presentation was given several years ago, I googled it. And Dr. Constant is correct. If you Google visualization political blogs, this image comes up. It looks like a blue and red blob kind of tangled together, depicting the interaction between bloggers from different ends of the political spectrum. And as it turns out, this type of research is very common during periods such as presidential campaigns. It allows us to see how people using blogs and social media interact with each other in real time. But this growing field of research also has its own ethical codes developing. It is not always clear what a blogger considers private. Different online platforms require researchers to access information in different ways. Given the complexities here, this might be a good topic for a future podcast. What about analyzing social media? It's all just public data, right? Or is it? What if you're analyzing Facebook posts that were limited to a group? Well, how'd you get access to them might be a question, but how big of a group? What if somebody said, I only want this to be available to people in New York? Is that public? What if anybody can say, I'm in New York, now is it public? What if it was shared privately, but then one of the people it was shared with shared it publicly? Is it okay to use it when the original recipient meant for it to be private? They weren't the one who made it public, but it is public. What if it was originally private content but the content provider, Facebook, Twitter, whoever it was, changed their defaults so the things that used to be private are now public. 
What if they've done that three or four times? So a reasonable expectation is anything that you do that's private probably will eventually one day be public because that's what commercial companies do. Um, what if the author intended it to be private, but it's really hard to make it private and by bad design or user error or a combination of the two, they posted it to the world? You know, we're struggling with these issues today, but mostly I think both researchers and IRBs are moving towards the consensus that public is public, which doesn't mean that there may not be sensitive issues ethically in cases where you decide it's better not to take certain data and expose it, even if it's public, but that that's not the obligation, that's the, the ethical imperative, not the legal imperative. The last one here, pet project of mine, because I helped create this system back now just about uh, 16 years ago. This is an online recommender system called Movie Lens. If you want recommendations for movies, you can go to it and do all sorts of things. And people have been contributing, about 160,000 people over the life of the system have been contributing their movie ratings, tags, reviews, all sorts of interesting content to this. So where's the line between studying systems? We built this as a system. And then we run experiments in the system. You know, what's the difference between something that's just normal improvement of the system and experimentation in it and studying the humans? This is something that in theory should be easy and when it comes to practice it sort of starts getting hard. It helps that most of this stuff is pretty low risk. And of course all the issues come back together. Consent, whether you need explicit consent, whether you can get consent up front for a wide range of things, what's the baseline risk and all of that. This has been More Than Meets the IRB. Thank you for joining us. We will see you next time.